The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, starting May 8th, wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Monday, November 16th, 2020. On this day in 1885, Canadian rebel Louis Riel was executed for high treason. The trial was one of the most followed in Canadian history. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Today we're covering the execution of Louis Riel. In 1885, Riel led a group of the native Métis people in an uprising against the Canadian government. He was a controversial figure at the time and remains so even today. Now, let's go back to Regina, Saskatchewan, on the morning of November 16, 1885. On the morning of Louis Riel's execution, Canadians across the country anxiously awaited the official announcement of his death. Government conservatives grew excited to congratulate each other on taking out a rebel, and journalists anticipated articles for the ages. But at Riel's prison in Regina, all was quiet. Riel didn't seem all that phased, because on the Sunday before his death, Louis Riel had woken to tell the guards something, something very important. He'd had another vision from heaven. The vision concerned his guardian angel. Riel claimed that the angel had told him that in the three days after his death, he would rise from the dead and share the Canadian premiership with its current holder, Sir John MacDonald. The angel also told Riel that he would live for three years in the Canadian Northwest and obtain liberty for the so-called half-breeds. It was his destiny. Riel immediately requested correspondence from Governor Edward Dudney, the Indian commissioner at the time. When Dudney arrived, Riel told him about his vision, but the commissioner dismissed it as fantasy. Instead, he handed Riel his execution papers. Riel had already been charged with high treason following the Northwest Resistance, an uprising of the native Métis tribe that directly affected John MacDonald and Dudney's plans for railroad construction. The execution was simply the final sentence. Riel did not appear particularly affected by the news. In fact, he smiled and said to Dudney, I shall soon be out of my trouble. When asked if he had any personal effects to dispose of, Riel simply pounded his chest where his heart was and said it was all that he had. However, Riel did ask if he could make a speech at his execution. Dudney would allow it, but only if it was brief. That afternoon, Riel wrote his final will and testament. 
It included a message to his wife and family, placing them under God's protection. He wrote of absolving his enemies of sins, especially Premier John McDonald. He begged forgiveness for himself and apologized for any errors he committed against the church. Finally, he included his own history of the resistance and placed his will in the hands of his spiritual advisor, Père André. Riel rode into the evening, preparing his final speech. At his execution, he had planned not to apologize, but to announce to the world his role as a spiritual prophet. He would tell them that he had been sent by God to conduct the rebellion. André, his advisor, asked him to refrain. He had already sent letters to top Canadian officials explaining to them that Riel was insane and to stop the execution. His pleas were ignored. Riel began Mass at 7 a.m. on the morning of his execution. He remained on his knees in prayer for the next several hours until the sheriff came and collected him. It was time for the gallows. Riel was pale but courageous as he walked into the room and onto the scaffold. A crowd filled the space below, and after receiving a litany from the priests, Riel began to speak. But when André interrupted him and asked him not to speak any more about visions, he conceded. From there, he only said one more thing. In God, I put my trust. Then he recited the Lord's Prayer and was dropped nine feet to his death. Though much of the country cheered upon the news of his execution, Riel did have supporters. Many French Canadians held vigils, others constructed wreaths, because to a select group of his countrymen, Louis Riel was neither a traitor nor a rebel. And this wasn't just a matter of an illegal and violent rebellion. Riel was a crusader for native rights. Coming up, we'll dive into the resistance itself. Listeners, here's a new show I can't wait for you to check out. When it comes to love, every story is unique. Some play out like fairy tales, seemingly meant to be. Others defy the odds to achieve happily ever after. In Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast, you'll discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Every Tuesday, Our Love Story celebrates the ups, downs, and pivotal moments that turn complete strangers into perfect pairs. Each episode offers an intimate glimpse inside a real-life romance, with couples recounting the highlights and hardships that define their love. Whether it's a chance encounter, a former friendship, or even a former enemy, our love story proves that love can begin and blossom in the most unexpected ways. Follow Our Love Story free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Now back to our story. In 1885, the year of Louis Riel's execution, Canada was a country riding the coattails of rapid and substantial change. After a century of negotiations with Britain, the country had finally established its own, separate government to run its internal interests, called the Dominion. 
They were still technically under British rule, but this new arrangement gave them the opportunity to prove they could be self-sufficient. The first prime minister, John A. Macdonald, was eager to take advantage of Canada's new autonomy. He wanted to make the country not only bigger, but wealthier. The centerpiece of his plan was a transcontinental railroad called the Canadian Pacific Railway, aimed at uniting Canada from coast to coast. But to build it, he would have to acquire more territories along the way. This included an area called Rupert's Land, over 3 million square miles of what is today Quebec and Ontario. The land was technically owned by the powerful Hudson's Bay Company. The HBC had been primarily a fur trading business, but by the late 19th century, the fur trade was declining. To make up for profit losses, HBC was prepared to sell Rupert's land to the Americans. But in 1869, Macdonald and Great Britain pressured them into selling to the Canadian government. For Macdonald, this was a great win. But for the territory's residents, primarily a native tribe called the Métis, the news that their land had become nationalized for railroad construction was rather unsettling. They needed a leader to defend themselves, and Louis Riel seemed to be the man best fit for the position. Louis Riel had been born into a prominent position in the Métis community. He was said to be one-eighth native Canadian and had grown up in the Red River settlement. His father had previously defended a Métis against the Hudson's Bay Company in a trial over their trade monopoly. However, Riel did not immediately follow in his father's footsteps. He was considered an introvert. He was moody and often depressed, especially after his father's death. As a young adult, he took a clerk position but quickly found law boring and quit. For roughly 10 years, he worked a series of odd jobs in Minnesota, but in 1866, he finally returned home. When Riel left, the place was a generally peaceful melting pot of Catholic Métis, Anglican settlers, and Presbyterian Scots. The Métis had generally been apathetic towards the settlers' farming and trading community, preferring the buffalo hunt, but were treated fairly respectfully. And yet, when Riel returned, his home had changed dramatically. Religious tensions had become hostile, specifically against the Métis. In 1868, a grasshopper outbreak led to a deadly famine that affected the tribe specifically. There were rumors of an HBC sale to the Canadian government, and the Métis lacked leadership to defend themselves against it. For a few years, Riel sat back and waited, preferring to see what would happen rather than get involved. But by 1869, when the land transfer was announced, it was clear that he needed to step up and do something. He helped form a national committee that directly opposed the sale of the land, gathered support to resist the Canadian government, and by the end of the year, established his own provisional government of the province of Manitoba. However, this was not without controversy and some bloodshed. So this period of time became known as the Red River Rebellion. Although Riel's government was theoretically recognized by Macdonald and the national government, many local groups, especially Protestants, opposed it. 
By the spring of 1870, a series of small battles and revolts led to the arrest of a Canadian man named Thomas Scott. When Scott threatened Riel's life in retaliation, Riel ordered Scott's execution. But this completely backfired on Riel. This action was a step too far for MacDonald and the Canadian government, and they sent Riel into exile in the U.S. for the next five years. There, Riel began having visions that he was anointed by God as the supposed prophet of the new world, and his behavior became increasingly erratic. He was hospitalized twice and eventually became a teacher in Montana, but in 1884, the Métis asked him to return to once again lead their people in resistance. By then, railroad construction had left the buffalo population all but extinct, and many tribes were suffering from starvation. Land was once again being divided up and sold without the consent of the Métis who occupied it. A police force called the Northwest Mounted Police, or NWMP, had been created, and though the force had originally been said to protect indigenous peoples against the whiskey trade, the NWMP had begun to turn against them. Riel returned, gathered supporters, and took up arms against the NWMP and the Canadian military to defend the Métis' rights. But this time, he was no match for a well-trained police force. His resistance was crushed, and Louis Riel was arrested. When MacDonald charged Riel with high treason in 1885, most of Canada considered Riel a rebel and a lunatic. It didn't help that at his trial, Riel again claimed that he'd been a prophet sent by God, and that Riel's own lawyers attempted to argue his insanity in order to save him from execution. But today, the reanalysis of history tells a different story, that of a man who advocated for a diverse society and fought for indigenous rights. In August of 2020, a statue of John A. MacDonald was toppled by activists in the city of Montreal. Louis Riel's story is being rewritten for the 21st century. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Stacey Lee Nemec, with writing assistance by Alex Benedon. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Don't forget to check out Our Love Story, the newest Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, discover the many pathways to love, as told by the actual couples who found them. Listen to Our Love Story, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.